Well, today I complete my examination of Scripture relating to the issue of tongues, and I will give my response to the question that has been asked by one of our attenders. I look forward to sharing more about that and also sharing this week's announcements. This is your Midweek Connection, Wednesday, October the 4th, 2023. this week's announcements. Number one, Pastor Brett is going to lead a class on parenting called Parenting is Not What You Think It Is. <laughs> this is a class on gospel-centered parenting. The class is going to begin on October the 15th and will run on Sunday mornings from 8.30 to 9.30 a.m. in the community room. Now, Sunday, October the 8th is the deadline to register, and you can do that in this Friday's email blast. Child care is available for all ages. Number two, Second Sunday Prayer Gathering takes place this Sunday from 8.30 to 9.30 in the community room. And I want to encourage all to come out and join with their church family in an hour of focused prayer together. One of our elders, Jeff Harper, will be leading the prayer gathering. And so I hope to see you there. Number three, Men's Breakfast. It's coming up Saturday, October the 21st at 8 a.m. in the community room. The community room is getting a lot of action. Now, this is for ages 10 and up. Fathers and sons encouraged to attend together. This year's theme is Priorities of a Godly Man. And the topic for October, the October meeting, is Prioritizing Your Relationship with Jesus. David Bush, one of our elders, will be our leader for that topic. And you can register via this Friday's email blast. Finally, youth group. Our youth group has um, a weekly in-depth Bible study. And the picture you see on the screen now was taken this past Sunday evening as the youth met in Pastor Adam's basement for Bible study. And this is what Pastor Adam had to say about the meeting. He said, this past week, our youth group launched their in-depth group for the year. At in-depth group, the goal is to help students dig deeper into their faith and to help equip them to live Christ-centered lives. This year, they're focusing on putting their faith into action, and they'll be planning and executing events that will allow them to share the gospel with their community. This past week, there were 23 students who accepted the invitation to be part of this group and they began taking steps to putting their faith into action throughout this upcoming year. So please be in prayer for them this year as they seek to fulfill the commands of Christ in their lives. You know I am so pleased with what I'm seeing going on in our youth group. Thankful for Pastor Adam and his leadership. Thankful for the many adult volunteers who make that ministry go. They they help do all the various uh, activities and teaching and mentoring and counseling. And so thank you, men and women who volunteer. Uh, you're the best. Really do appreciate you, and you're doing a great work with our teens. 
Well, that's it for this week's announcements. Let's move on now to questions for the pastor. Well, for the last three weeks, I've been doing some foundational work for the question, how do we use and apply tongues and interpretation of tongues in the church and also in our private prayer life? Now, we began in the book of Acts, and we discovered that tongues were given as a sign of the coming of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus had promised once he ascended back to heaven. We found three passages in Acts where tongues were practiced. Acts chapter 2, the initial coming of the Holy Spirit to fill the 120 disciples waiting for him. Acts chapter 10, where we find the filling of the Holy Spirit on uh, Gentiles who had believed in Christ. And Acts chapter 19, the filling of the Holy Spirit on the disciples of John the Baptist who had not yet been baptized in the name of Jesus and who had not yet received the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit as they didn't even know when asked, was there even such a thing as a spirit, as in the Spirit of God. Now, in, in these three cases, the manifestation of tongues was the sign that believers had received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Now, from there, I dealt with the question, was this to be the norm moving forward? In other words, was it God's plan that, that this tongue's manifestation would continue to be the evidence that uh, one had received the Holy Spirit and thus had become a follower of Christ? I shared that uh, there is no other record of any believer speaking in tongues as the evidence of conversion and receiving the Holy Spirit. In fact, other than Acts chapter 2, chapter 10, and chapter 19, all other conversions in Acts, as well as the rest of the New Testament, record nothing of tongues as an evidence of conversion and the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Instead, the evidence of the presence and power of the Spirit in a person's life is the transformation that he brings to a believer, a decreasing in the works of the flesh and an increasing in the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. Last week, then, we looked at Paul's teaching about tongues to the believers in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we found that, that tongues and interpretation of tongues were legitimate gifts that the Spirit had given to the church. However, in the other lists of the gifts that came after 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Romans 12, and also Ephesians chapter 4, tongues and interpretation of tongues are not listed. We explored 1 Corinthians chapter 14, where Paul addresses the misuse and the incorrect emphasis that the believers were placing on tongues over prophecy. Paul taught that prophecy was a gift to be pursued because it was beneficial in the building up of the church as a whole, whereas tongues only benefited the individual by building them up. Paul said, that in the church, when it is gathered, he would rather speak five intelligible words than 10,000 in a tongue. So, he instructed that tongues had no place in the gathering of the church unless there was someone with the gift of interpretation present also. Otherwise, if there was not someone there with the gift of interpretation, they were to keep silent, 
meaning they were to keep their tongue's manifestation between themselves and God. Paul ended chapter 14 instructing the church that speaking in tongues should not be forbidden, but that the gift to desire and pursue was the gift of prophecy. So we find that tongues had a specific purpose for a specific period of time. We found that it became a point of abuse in the church in Corinth and that Paul did not elevate uh, the gift of tongues in any way, but in fact redirected the church's attention to other gifts as the ones to pursue. Okay, now I want to draw our attention to 1 Corinthians 13. And I want to do that because I believe that it is here between chapter 12 where tongues is acknowledged as a legitimate gift and chapter 14 where Paul instructs against its abuse and points the church toward other gifts that we ultimately find the answer to the question that has been asked. Now chapter 13 is basically the fleshing out of the last statement of chapter 12 where Paul says in verse 31, but earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you a still more excellent way. The more excellent way, as we discover, is the way of love, agape love. In the first three verses, Paul makes it clear that if one had the gift of tongues so that they could speak every language to include even a supposed angelic language, but did not possess and manifest love, then their gift was nothing more than a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If one possessed prophetic powers, knowledge, and faith, but did not possess and manifest love, Paul said, they're nothing. If one gave everything they had, even their body, as a sacrifice, but did not possess and manifest love, Paul said, they have gained nothing. So clearly, love is greater and also is the foundation for all of the spiritual gifts. Now in verses 4 through 7, Paul defines what agape love is, and you're familiar with that, I'm sure. And in verse 8, he tells us that love never ends. He goes on to say, For prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. So, prophecy, tongues, knowledge, uh, these were the gifts being abused in the Corinthian church abused as they were not being exercised from the foundation of love, verses 1 through 3. So, love is forever, Paul said. But these three gifts that the Corinthian church was so enamored with, uh, they had an ending date, if you will. In other words, those gifts were temporary. So, let's take a moment to break down these gifts. Number one, prophecy. I want you to remember that there is prophecy defined as providing new revelation, and there is prophecy proclaiming established revelation. 
Paul here is speaking about prophecy in the sense of providing new revelation. And he tells us that that particular gift will be done away with. Tongues, introduced as the authenticating sign of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in Christ's followers, also coupled with prophecy, miracles, and healings, were gifts that for a time, prior to the completion of the New Testament canon of Scripture, were signs of authentication that a person represented and spoke for God. Although we have no record of Jesus speaking in a tongue, the miracles that he performed were a sign that he was, in fact, more than human. He was actually divine. When Jesus met with Nicodemus, John chapter 3, Nicodemus said, verse 2, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Paul said that he spoke in tongues more than any of the Corinthian believers, 1 Corinthians 14, 18. It was a sign, it was an authenticating sign, that God was with him. But in chapter 13, verse 8, he said that tongues would cease. So there we have something about prophecy and tongues. Now, knowledge. Knowledge, like prophecy, had a revelatory aspect to it. But like prophecy, Paul said that knowledge in this context would pass away. So, three gifts, two revelatory and one an authentication of God's power being with an individual, Paul says, will either pass away or cease. Now the question is, when? When will they pass or cease? Look with me at verse 9. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes the partial will pass away. So the when is answered by that which is perfect. When it comes, then these others will cease and or pass away. The word perfect is translated from the Greek word teleos, which means perfect, mature, or complete. So what we find is when Teleos comes, the revelatory and authentication gifts will pass away or cease. So, what is Teleos pointing us to? Well, some say it is pointing us to the Lord Jesus because he is perfect, and that is true. But he had already come and returned, so it's not likely it's pointing us there. Some will say it is pointing us to the second coming of Jesus and the beginning of the new age of righteousness. And they base that on verse 12 where it says that we will then be face to face. Uh, and truly, it will be in that age when we will be face to face with our Savior and Lord. But when I consider the nature of prophecy and knowledge as revelatory gifts, gifts that the Apostle Paul obviously had because he received revelation that filled 13 New Testament books. Once the canon of Scripture was complete, well, what need would there have been for those revelatory gifts? And tongues, as a sign of authentication, as was healing and miracles, 
Once the canon of Scripture was complete, what was the need? Is it not the Word and its accurate communication that authenticates one as representing Christ Jesus to the world? I mean, think about it. What authenticates me as a messenger of God? That I can heal somebody? That I can um, come up with some revelatory uh, new piece of information? That I can speak in tongues? No, it's, it's when I represent God accurately through His completed revealed Word. So, as I understand this passage, I find uh, Paul telling us that when the revelation of Scripture was complete, which it wasn't at the time that these gifts were still in play, that once the full canon of Scripture was complete, that those gifts would fade away as there would no longer be any need for them in that context. So, with all that has been shared over the last three weeks, to include what I've shared today, my response to the question, how do we use and apply tongues and interpretation of tongues in the church and also in our private prayer life? How do we do that? Or do we do that? And my answer to the question is, we don't. <laughs> I mean, based on all that I've brought out from Scripture over these last weeks, there is no legitimate need for the gift of tongues to be practiced in our worship gatherings as a church. The fullness of scriptural revelation is complete. The man, the woman of God, is authenticated by the completed word rather than a miraculous sign. So, what need then is there for tongues? Someone says, well, okay, Pastor Mike, I, I see the point pertaining to the gathered church, but, but what about in private uh, prayer? About what about tongues as a prayer language? Well, I ask, where in Scripture do we find a prayer language being taught? Now, those who believe in a private prayer language will likely point me to Romans chapter 8 verse 26, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 18, and Jude verse 20, where praying in the Spirit is mentioned. Okay, well what then is praying in the Spirit? Is praying in the Spirit praying in a tongue, or is it simply praying in cooperation with and under the guiding influence of the Spirit? I find no evidence in the Scripture that praying in the Spirit has any connection to tongues at all other than the fact that in Acts chapter 2, chapter 10, and chapter 19, the speaking in tongues was by the power of the Spirit. But again, that was not prayer, but rather the outward manifestation of the filling of the Spirit, which we've already established was a temporary sign. So. With all due respect to any brother or sister who believe they have the gift of speaking in tongues or the interpretation of tongues or believe that they have prayed in tongues, I, I can't speak for your experience. I, I can only go by what I find written in the Word. And quite frankly, I find no evidence that tongues in any form is put forward as being part of the present day Christian's walk with Christ. So that's my response.
As my final comment on the topic, though, I make an observation. And here's the observation. When Pentecostals or charismatic churches send missionaries to other nations to spread the gospel, I find it interesting that despite their strong teaching on the gift of tongues, that their missionaries go to language school to be able to interact with their mission field. <laughs> and I ask myself, well, if they can speak in tongues in their churches or privately in their prayers, then why would they need to spend three years learning a language to minister to a people of a different language? It seems to me that if uh, the gift was still in play, then having the gift would be part of the calling to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Well, that's just a thought uh, from me. Let's take a moment to pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the word. I thank you for the way that it unveils your plan and your works and shows us how we are to relate to those. And Father, I thank you for the uh, gift of tongues and interpretation of tongues and the part that they have played in the history of the church and of the manifestation that shows that the Holy Spirit came just as Jesus promised. But as we study Scripture, we find that that manifestation does not seem to be useful for that any longer. We now have the completed canon of Scripture. It is our authority. It is the manifestation of our representation of you, the authentication that we are speaking for you. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, be students of your word, uh, that we would be strong in the word, and that we would be uh, able to uh, accurately proclaim it to those around us, both to the, the unbelieving for salvation and the believing for their sanctification. And, Lord, that we would see the gifts of the Spirit that you have in play today um, being manifest in the lives of your children. And I pray that we would see those being manifested here at the Mission Church as well. So, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to deal with this topic. And I pray that it's been helpful to those who've heard it and it's been honoring to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Sunday we begin our journey through the seven letters to the seven churches. And the first one is the church in Ephesus. It is the church that lost its first love. Well, I look forward to our time in worship, worship in fellowship, worship in prayer. By the way, Second Sunday prayer gathering, we worship together in prayer, worshiping together in song, worshiping together in the Word. Until then, God bless and have a great week.